Every year, 20 million people find cancer and half of them find cancer late. And we would love for those 10 million people to detect cancer early. And to do that, we need Ezra to be the most accurate, the most affordable way to do that. You're listening to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast. Welcome, everyone, right. to this very exciting episode around healthcare and how digital it can become. And to join this episode, we have the co-founders and, and uh, innovators behind what is now Ezra.ai or Ezra.com. Um, I love the service because once I discovered what I needed to do before Ezra existed, I realized Ezra was a godsend. But I won't give away what the company does. I'll let the founders share with that. But before I do that, I just want to lay the foundation. Uh, Diego and Emmy are longtime friends now. Um, Emmy, as a matter of fact, and I'll let you introduce yourself shortly, Emmy, but yeah. those of you that don't know, we backed Emmy's first company back in the day, a long time ago. It was one of the first investments he camp made. Yeah. And you know, he 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 hails from Romania, which now everyone knows is the place that some of the best companies come from. 100%. And and Diego comes from the other place where everybody knows some great co-founders come from, which is Latin America, specifically Colombia. But with that introduction, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Emmy, to tell your story a little bit. Um, and then maybe you, Diego. Thank you, Carlos. It's great to be here. I'm excited about this conversation. And I absolutely love your podcast voice, Carlos. Got to work <laughs> on that. Um, I So, you know, I think we've actually now known each other for more than a decade. Because Seedcamp invested in Brainiant, my previous company, in 2009, um, which is 12 years ago. It's it's crazy to even just think about it. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, I come from Romania. Brainiant was in a very different space than, than Ezra. I was in the video advertising technology space. And um, it was acquired in 2016 by a large uh, ad tech group in New York City called Teeds. And um, and then I started Ezra with, with Diego because um, actually both Diego and myself have a very personal interest in cancer because we have cancer in our family. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So um, excited about talking about Ezra today. And uh, I will actually pass it to Diego too to tell you a little bit about himself and then we'll, we'll go from there. Oh, thank you, Emmy. So, hi, Carlos. I'm super excited to be here. First time doing a podcast with Emmy, so this is great and with you. Um, a little bit about myself. Well, I come from Colombia. I'm um, an uh, academician. I've been uh, studying my whole life. Um, when I finished my undergrad, I went to work for the industry, but I realized very quickly that it wasn't really fulfilling for me. I, I, I felt that I was, you know, developing software and technology, but I... Uh, was seeking a deeper, a more meaningful work. And I found that in medical imaging. So that's where my journey started. And I've been working in medical imaging for the most, uh, the largest part of the last two decades. So, and uh, well, that's, that's a little bit about myself. Wow. Okay. So now this is probably a good time on the, on the, on the talent of medical imaging. This is a good time to tell people what it is that you guys do. And I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. 
for those in the, in the audience to know a little bit why we backed Emmy and, and this journey for Ezra. And, and then you guys can maybe, I mean, you can take it from there and explain in more detail what you guys do. But um, one of the things that we've noticed, um, and for those of you that have been following the Seed Camp uh, newsletter, we, we talked about how it's very important now for healthcare to scale up by moving away from reactive health to proactive health. And part of that comes from identifying things in advance of them happening so that you can take action upon them. And so one of the challenges that I think we all are aware of is how much cancer is probably one of the biggest killers in, in the world. And, in, and it's just hard to get uh, in advance. And so when Emmy came to me with what they were working on, and specifically as a guy, because I, I think, you know, I'll let you tell why I was saying as a yeah. guy. Um, yeah. I was like, okay, yes, this needs to exist. Um, so maybe, I mean, you can take it from there. Like, what was that early Ezra story as to, and, yeah. and also why with your background in, you know, Brainian, it was like, what popped, what came to mind and how did you meet Diego? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about why I uh, decided to focus on cancer. Um, and the, the backstory is that I'm personally at high risk for cancer, for melanoma. And so from a very young age, I've had to get screened for cancer. I've had to have molds removed. I've had to have them biopsied. So I've probably been more aware of the importance of screening than most young people. And that led me to uh, start volunteering for a nonprofit in Romania called Hospices of Hope, who built hospices that care for cancer patients. And in being involved with them, I realized that really the main reason why people end up in the hospice because of cancer, so terminal disease, is because they found cancer late. So started looking at why so many people find cancer late and realized it's really because there's no way to screen for cancer everywhere in the body that's fast, accurate, and affordable. And uh, not only that, but in some types of cancer, the way to screen is very invasive and, and pretty inaccurate. So to your point, Carlos, for prostate cancer screening, for example, the current standard of care is a PSA blood test, which is highly inaccurate. If your PSA blood test comes back positive, you have to do a prostate biopsy where they put a needle through the rectum, poke the prostate through the wall of the rectum 14 times at random. And that, as you can imagine, leads to a lot of issues, erectile dysfunction, bleeding, et cetera. Not a great way to get screened for cancer. At Ezra, we replace that with a 20-minute prostate MRI. You go in, you get scanned, you walk out, you get a report a few days later. And not only is it a much better experience, but it's a, a, a significantly more accurate way to screen for prostate cancer. So we then, uh, you know, going back to the, the founding story, when I realized that really the main reason why people are not finding cancer is because there's no way to screen for cancer everywhere in the body that's fast, accurate, and affordable, I started doing research. And after about 18 months of research, I concluded that a full body MRI would be a great solution to get screened for cancer everywhere in the body. However, full bodies are expensive. You know, before Ezra, it used to take three hours, cost about $10,000 to get a full body MRI. With Ezra, it takes 60 minutes, uh, costs $2,000. Now, that was the idea, build a full body MRI, but I, even though I have a computer science background, a mathematics background, I don't have medical imaging background. So I actually spent nine months in 2017 looking through about two and a half thousand profiles of medical imaging, deep learning experts in the world, reached out to about 300 people, 
had 150 of them respond. I had about 90 interviews over nine months and selected kind of four people that I worked with through a kind of a three-month project. And from that entire exercise, uh, Diego was by far the best person. Um, and, uh, you know, we decided to work together as co-founders in October, on October 7, 2017. And, um, and then we worked together for a year, built a prototype for a prostate AI, and then uh, raised money and the rest is history. So that's kind of the, the, the founding story and how I, uh, I found Diego to, to answer both of your, uh, your questions. That, that's like one, one of the best like love stories I've ever heard, man. That is like found, founder, <laughs> co-founder love story ever best ever told. Um, yeah, yeah. And it took nine months, ironically, you know. Nice. Kind of, uh, yeah. All good things take time, right? Um, exactly. Diego, I wanted to follow up on that, on the medical imaging side of things, because I think, you know, one of, first of all, um, there's a lot of hope put on computer vision across many things, uh, whether it be in manufacturing to catch early issues with like material materials failing or machines failing to now obviously medical uh, applications. What are, what are the limitations there? I mean, I think in, in terms of cancer screening, I know that early days uh, you guys have to create a, a sort of like a R, R factor of what, how accurate and this correlates to something and, and how do you get to the point that's good enough for it to be useful to doctors and how do you have to work with doctors to make it a useful piece of technology? Right. So um, I'll, I'll speak a little bit about radiology in particular, which is our, our area of focus at Ezra. Um, and talking about limitations, well, the limitation for any uh, uh, type of machine learning initiative is data. So especially in uh, medicine, especially medical imaging, uh, it's very hard to train algorithms when you don't have sufficient data. Uh, that has been a limitation since uh, you know the the, the new uh, advancements in uh, AI uh, have a, you know uh, surfaced. Um, hopefully, this is being resolved with different technologies that uh, uh, target issues such as uh, patient privacy. And one of the uh, ways that uh, institutions, research institutions and hospitals are working around, this is by something called federated learning. So the idea is that the images never leave the hospital. You train your algorithms locally, and then you share the, the training of the algorithm so it can be reused by other institutions. That's one of the uh, technologies that have uh, addressed the, the data sharing limitation that you know, it's always a balance between technology and patient privacy, right? So then this is, we're finding a way to move forward in both fronts. Another area where um, recent advancements are uh, helping move the, uh, the uh, AI initiative forward is uh, cybersecurity. So there are a, a couple of technologies. One of them is uh, differential uh, security. Um, and the idea here is that if your medical records were ever exposed, no individual record uh, is accurate. So basically you scramble the records in such a way that the statistics and the analysis that you can derive from the records don't change. So if you were going to do a simple analysis on average age or a, a state of disease in a specific a patient population, you will get the same results when you group them, when you summarize them, but individual records are never accurate because we introduce uh, noise 
and this is uh, the idea of differential privacy, uh, differential security, and differential privacy. Um, the other thing that is happening right now with uh, radiology is the idea of homomorphic encryption. So the idea is that instead of training algorithms directly on the images that are understandable by um, researchers and radiologists, you uh, apply an algorithm that gives you a pixelated version where nothing is intelligible. So it's like looking at a TV screen uh, where you don't have any signal. Uh, however, computers understand that that representation equates to the X-ray or to the ultrasound that you would normally see, like a, a human would normally observe. Uh, so it's very interesting because you're making the images in, in unintelligible for humans, but they contain the same information and can be processed by AI algorithms. So in both cases, in the case of medical records and images, this type of technologies are really uh, protecting patients' privacy. So what's really interesting about what you just said, Diego, is that it's not what you said, it's what you didn't say. And what, what I'm flagging that is at no point did I hear anything having to do with the actual technology being the issue, the imaging and the computer vision technology being the issue in getting cancer detection. All these other things you mentioned are things that are the, the ecosystem of things that need to be mature enough to allow for that to, to be mainstream, you know, like protecting data, protecting where the, like the data is stored and which who people get access to it. But it sounds like if I read through the lines that in terms of the technology to accurately assess cancer through current imaging technologies, we're there. Like that, there is no need for further innovation in like, you know, some sort of echolocation within the body. It's literally, we're there. The issue is no longer medical imaging. Now the issue is data privacy, data management, encryption, um, and, and data sets. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, and the thing, this is the thing, like this type of concerns have always been there. It's just the fact that now we are moving in an industry and a technology like AI that requires a vast amount of data and companies and institutions are starting to collect this data. So this has only made these concerns even more pressing, even more relevant today. And uh, yes, it is right. We, we, we have the technology, we have had it for 10 years. Like even before AI, there were very accurate machine learning algorithms that uh, helped physicians to make better decisions based on, on data. We, we have had them for a while now, but now that there is this vast amount of data, that's where these concerns are really, uh, we need to resolve them. Part of what needs to be done in my humble opinion is to bring these ideas to universities. So the idea of, for instance, how do you uh, become HIPAA compliant? In the United States, or how do you do data protection? How do you do encryption of medical data? This needs to be part of the university curriculums for uh, computer science, engineering, biotechnology. Um, because what's happening is that we weren't prepared for this. And then in the industry, now we have to figure it out. So the sooner we bring this to the um, universities and becomes part of what you learn as, an, as a bioengineer, then it's, it's part of solving the issue. That's yeah. excellent. Well, and it does bring up a question for you, Emmy, which is, mm -hmm. would you, would you, based upon what Diego said, would you say that Ezra is less a computer vision company and more a secure data management encryption and uh, integration company? So kind of. So really what we are at Ezra is we're a cancer screening company and we use AIs to 
make cancer screening more affordable for our customers. And you know, if, if you look at the Ezra uh, offering, we, we use AI at pretty much every step of the screening process. We have AIs that check for quality of the images. We have AIs that make the images faster. We have AIs that make the radiology interpretation faster. We have AIs that convert the radiology report into an Ezra report. Um, so really what we're, the way we see AI is that it supports this cancer screening effort and making it more affordable, making it more accurate, making it more convenient. And I think Diego's point is very good in that AI, deep learning has been shown to work. It works across the board from imaging to radiology to genomics to digital health. The hard thing in, um, in machine learning is all of the ML ops and all of the data curation and all of the infrastructure supporting all of these AIs and doing it in a way that is scalable and secure and respecting data privacy and HIPAA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would venture to say that we probably spend more time doing the infrastructure ML ops supporting technology than we spend on building machine learning architectures. So with that in mind, I mean, it sounds like once you have that, that infrastructure for um, the AI to, to parse the data, that it, it's not, I mean, even though you are focused on cancer for the reasons that you mentioned before, the, the, it's only incremental for you to be able to catch anything else that an image can catch. And, and I know that one thing that companies are, are increasingly, startups in healthcare are starting to do is, do you have the responsibility of care? if your technology picks up on things that aren't specifically within the remit of what you went to. So what, what are your thoughts of, of the future of AI and healthcare in, in that sense? Is it, do you feel like Ezra five years in the future will be yes, cancer focused, but Hey man, you have a weird thing going on in your liver or whatever. Yeah. So we actually track every single finding for members at Ezra uh, using um, a scale that we've created internally called an E-score, an Ezra score. And an E-score is one to five. And every single finding is ranked on you know one, which is like not concerned to five, which is like very likely cancer. What's really interesting across like a couple of thousand people now that we've scanned is 13% of our members have E-scores of four and five, which is potential cancer. So for these members, we're finding things that are concerning for cancer and they should do follow-ups. And uh, you know, we have now tens of members who found cancer, got treated, they're cancer-free. We've, Ezra's literally saved their life. What's also really interesting is 70% of our members find things that are not cancer, but are clinically significant that can help them improve their health. These are things like fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, hernias, disc uh, bulges, aneurysms. And these are things that can uh, degrade your health or even kind of can be very concerning, like a brain aneurysm, you know, can pop any time. So you should really uh, be aware of it. And 70% of our members get these types of findings. And I actually spoke with a member last week who is on his uh, second or third Ezra full body scan. And in his first Ezra scan, he found fatty liver disease, like really serious fatty liver disease. His fat content was probably like 30%, which is a, a very fatty liver. And then he went on diet. He stopped drinking alcohol. He started eating fewer carbs. And his most recent Ezra scan sh uh, showed no fatty liver disease. And so 
we can help people improve health through all of these other types of findings that you get in an SRF body scan. Um, Diego, how much do you do you build in, or how much do you foresee the product evolving uh, for you and other companies to be able to help patients manage the next steps on any of those things that aren't specific to cancer or even within cancer? Because I think one of the challenges startups have now is how do you transition from proactive health to the existing healthcare system? It's like, here's these list of things. Oh, shit, what do I do next? To actually let me be the, the hand that holds your hand to the next step on each one of these things. That's a really good question, Carlos. So in the United States, the, the state of healthcare is very fragmented. So one of the things that uh, we are doing is through technology, we are making it simpler for our members. So initially, uh, we are uh, uh, partnering with concierge physicians. So uh, with this type of partnerships, we are streamlining, uh, finding uh, early signs of cancer for uh, our members. Um, but there is so much more work to do. Uh, talk about employers, talk about insurance companies, talk about, uh, forget about AI, just it's so difficult to, and so uh, paperwork based when you have a finding and you need to do a follow-up and you need to find a specialist. And I think that this is an area where technology and why not AI has a lot to contribute on. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a very interesting um, anecdote, Carlos, which is that, so we launched the Ezra Full Body MRI and people started getting full bodies and we had a lot of women coming in getting a full body MRI scan. And we had women starting to come to Ezra and be like, hey, would I be able to book my mammogram through Ezra as well? Because booking the Ezra full body is so easy, but booking my mammogram, I have to call facilities, stay in line, fill in forms, fill in paperwork, go to this patient portal that I don't understand how it works, et cetera. So we launched the Ezra mammogram and we launched the Ezra low dose CT scan that screens for lung cancer. And in the future, we plan to add other things and really make it make Ezra the easiest way to book any and all uh, screening tests that are, have been proven to work. Um, to go to your uh, original question, a, a big challenge that we actually have right now is how do we integrate people who found something through an Ezra scan into the existing health system in the most seamless way possible? And this is a very early effort, but what we're doing there is we are creating lists of preferred specialist partners that we refer people to whenever we find something. So if we find a lesion that is concerning for prostate cancer, we will introduce you to five great urologists in New York City. And these are uh, physicians that we've, uh, we have no commercial relationship with them, but we have um, met with, they understand Ezra, we like them, we think they do great uh, work. And we expect that our members will get a great experience if they go and um, see any of them. All right. Well, I'll ask Diego this question first, and then, Emmy, you can answer it. So looking 10 years into the future, Ezra is wildly successful um, and changed the world of, of healthcare. What is the number one thing that will look different to a patient from in, coming from 2021 healthcare system to 2031 healthcare system because you guys succeeded. So it's kind of science fiction, 10 years, maybe 10 years is too soon, maybe 20 years, 20 years, 15 years, pick whatever, 15 years, let's say 15 years. Yep. 
in the future, what is going to look different because Ezra succeeded? And then, Emmy, you get the benefit of having more time to think about it. So I'll, I'll, I'll go back to our mission, which is to detect cancer earlier for everywhere in the world. Uh, let me tell you a personal story. My mom had breast cancer. And the year where she was diagnosed was the year where her doctor told her that she shouldn't do the screenings every year, but every couple of years. So the year that we skipped, that was when it happened. So uh, I think that there are a couple of things that are going to happen. First, we're going to be closer to our mission. But second, uh, cancer screening is, is going to be more, more normal. It's not going to be a novel idea. It's going to be something that you ethically need to do. And I think that we are making big strides to, to get there. My view, and I'm taking a kind of 10 to 15 year horizon here, is if you look at Ezra today, we have built something that is really good in finding cancer early. It's very accurate. It's very convenient. However, it is still relatively expensive. The Ezra full body scan is $2,000. Uh, it takes about an hour. Fast forward a decade from now, I actually think we were going to have a 10-minute full body scan that will be analyzed solely by AI and will emit, it will give you a warning signs report that will not be like, hey, you have potential prostate cancer. It would be like, hey, there's an abnormality that you should investigate further. And that scan will cost two, three hundred dollars and they will be covered by insurance and everybody in the world will be able to get one. That's kind of the where we we think we can get to. And even next year, we expect that we'll be able to launch a 30-minute Ezra full body scan that will cost $1,000. So we're kind of, our approach at Ezra is over time, use all of the data we gather um, to train more AIs, to make cancer screening more affordable. Uh, because I can't envision a future where people say, hey, I would like to pay more for my Ezra full body. You know, they're always going to want to pay less and Every year, 20 million people find cancer and half of them find cancer late. And we would love for those 10 million people to detect cancer early. And to do that, we need Ezra to be the most accurate, the most affordable way to do that. Excellent. Well, maybe to conclude, um, let's talk a little bit about the future of talent. And you guys benefit from a period where everyone's now working remotely and, and therefore it's the easiest possible uh, time to hire people from all over the world to work for a company. However, not that easy, right? Like um, we, we're struggling with hybrid and, and realizing that for deep work, um, you know, remote can work, but for like a lot of face-to-face -face stuff, it doesn't work as easily. Walk, walk me through kind of what you guys are thinking about tapping into the best brains around the world for a distributed team and, and that fight for talent. Yeah. So we, uh, we were very, very big on in-person work um, before the pandemic because we have this view that if you're doing intellectually challenging, really, really hard work, you're building hard technology, which is what we do at Ezra, you kind of need people in the same room to kind of bump brains and, and have debates and have heated discussions about the best approach to solve a particular hard uh, tech challenge. Uh, that said, during the pandemic, we obviously had to to move to a remote work, um, uh, remote workforce uh, uh, world, and we've actually started hiring people remotely and opening ourselves to the global 
um, talent pool as opposed to just the local talent pools in, in New York and Toronto, which is where our offices are. Um, saying that, uh, while we now can access 10 times more people because we can hire globally, all companies are also hiring globally. And so it's not just the, um, the, the, the pool of talent that has expanded, it's also the competition for the global pool of talent that has uh, intensified. And so I have been doing, I've been in startups for 15 years now, and it is the most competitive market I have ever seen in my life right now. We have an advantage at Ezra that we have a very strong sense of mission, which attracts people who care about our mission. And so um, whenever we find someone who is uh, has the skills to help build the things that we're building at Ezra, we have an advantage in, in the mission. But even so, it's a really hard market out there. And um, we're actually finding it increasingly more difficult to compete with big tech codes that can offer a lot more um, uh, packages that are a lot bigger than a startup package. Diego, how, how are you finding in terms of, of inspiring and managing the integration of these, these um, innovations at, from remote teams? So uh, it, it, it is challenging. I think that uh, not so much in the, in the sense of sharing ideas and collaborating remotely because we have adapted, like every company that we all went through COVID, we had to adapt. So I think that there are uh, new uh, tools and, and uh, technologies that help us to work remotely. Like right now we're in a podcast, we're all in different places, New York, uh, London, and Toronto. So um, I think that part of the, of the challenge of working remotely is to create the social bonds that uh, a high performing team needs to create to succeed. We have very, you know, many teams have a, high performers, people who are very uh, uh, proficient in their uh, different disciplines, but working together as a team and having that sense of security and belonging and that mission moving forward together, it's hard to do when uh, we're all remote. So I think that this is something that we're all figuring out. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, I'm, I'm a loyal customer. I haven't done my scan for this year because I cannot get into the U.S. until recently because of mm -hmm. COVID restrictions, but I'm, I'm yeah. long overdue to go. For, for those of you that are listening, I, I did mine a couple of years ago, right before COVID. It's very eye-opening. As you said, super, super red carpet. Um, probably one of the best experiences I've had from a, from a physical product. I mean, it's, it's so yeah. strange that you're a software yet there's a very physical experience you go through. So if you're, if you're kind of in my age group, which is like, you know, young, 28. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I highly recommend this over the alternative. So that's my promo to those that are listening discount code, hashtag Carlos. You actually have a referral link, Carlos. You oh, know, do that, I? That I you can that. share. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just nice. log into my Ezra and you'll, 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 you can copy paste it below the podcast. Uh, Excellent. I'll put that in the in show notes. Yes, Here you yes. go. Here's the Carlos discount code. But guys, take care of yourselves and, and make sure you screen often. And maybe one last point, Emmy. Um, I yeah. know that we've talked about the origin story being about prostate in men, but yeah. this is very much about both both genders and all genders, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And you know, um, for me, especially my my mother was, you know, similarly to Diego, diagnosed with uh, with cancer. Um, 
And unfortunately, in her case, it was metastatic colon cancer, which is a um, very difficult cancer to treat. And she's currently still undergoing treatment. And so um, it is not just a, a, a full body scan for tech pros. It is a full body cancer screening scan for anyone who is um, 35 and over. And um, we uh, we found cancer from brain to prostate for our members um, over the past couple of years. And we now have almost weekly a member who uh, contacts us, thanking us that we found cancer early for them. Um, so it's really important that we get screened, really important that our parents get screened and uh, our, you know, our, at Ezra, we're very, very focused on making sure that everyone can get screened and can afford to, and that our scan is better and better, more, more accurate and, and more affordable. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure seeing you. And hopefully I'll see you in New York and or Toronto soon enough. Great to see you, Carlos. Thank, Thank you. you. Carlos.